Hi, my name is Steven. Hi, I'm April. This is the Three Pi Squared ABA Business Leaders Podcast, where we discuss topics on how to create and grow an ethical and sustainable ABA practice. Together, Stephen and I owned a seven-figure ABA practice that provided both clinic and in-home services. 3Pi Squared has helped over 900 ABA practices start up and expand with our comprehensive products and services geared specifically to ABA. Now, let's get to the podcast. So today we have with us Dr. Emily Ice. Thank you for coming today. Um, I'm just going to tell you guys a little bit about her and then we'll get started on talking about sleep today. So Dr. Emily Ice is an accomplished executive director at Stepin, specializing in applied behavior analysis and behavioral sleep treatment. Her expertise lies at the intersection of organizational leadership and behavioral sciences with a strong knowledge of the inner working within behavioral behavioral health fields. Since 2001, Dr. Ice has been dedicated to working with families, children, and adults experiencing developmental disabilities in both in-home and center-based settings. Dr. Ice is a prominent figure in the field of behavioral sleep treatment, known for her groundbreaking research and practical insights. Her passion for understanding the complex relationship between sleep and behavior has established her as a leading voice in sleep medicine. She is also a board member at large on the Alaska Association of Behavior Analysts, and as of January 2022, a board member for the Colorado Association of Behavior Analysts. In addition to her extensive work in sleep science, Dr. Ice is a fervent advocate for entrepreneurship in the field of behavior analysis. She chaired the Colorado Association of Behavior Analysis Public Policy Committee during a year of national recognition for their advocacy efforts. Dr. Ice's entrepreneurial spirit also shines through her co-founding of Step In Autism Services, now in their 13th successful year of operation and the 21st. Yeah, right. That's that's big. And the 21st century venture uh, focused on developing behavior analytic based applications aimed at increasing independence. And on top of all of that, she has a really cool name. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome, Dr. Ice. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about sleep and I'm excited to get uh, to share this with your listeners who are all looking at this kind of from that organizational perspective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and those of you guys who are listening um, live, uh, feel free. I am trying to keep my eyes on the comments. So if you have any questions or comments, um, just to go ahead and type them in the chat box here and I will try to keep an eye out. Um, so so I guess like let's start with why is sleep important? This is the question that really drove me to get into sleep research. And I was looking at doing my doctorate several years ago, and I decided I've been in the field for a long time, and I really wanted to try to tackle something new new to me. And I lived in Alaska for like way too long, uh, 18 years, I think. Wow. And so in Alaska and Fairbanks, you have this very interesting phenomenon where in the middle of winter, it is pretty much dark all the time. The sun will kind of come up, it will cross the horizon, and then it will go back down. And I'm, there's lots of places that are like that, but I just happen to live in one. And in, in the summer, you have the opposite, where it's light pretty much all the time. 
So imagine that coupled with the fact that we had a center that treated children with autism, that already we know that children with autism have a 60 to 85% rate of uh, sleep disturbances. And then you add this wonkiness with the sun and um, night schedule. And every single kid that walked through our doors had some sort of sleep challenge. And for, you know, the eight or nine years that I was doing this clinic work prior to working on my um, dissertation, I didn't have any way of helping them. And so I started that process and I was like, well, let's just, let's look into this. Is ABA something that can help with this? And there's some research out there in the field of ABA that shows that we have uh, mechanisms in our science to help with it, but also a huge breadth of research that looks at how it affects um, our physical well-being, how sleep affects our cognitive abilities, how it is correlated with our behaviors, looking at severe injurious behaviors, aggression, things like that. Um, how it affects organizational health and safety, right? So sleep disturbances are correlated with higher rates of um, organizational safety issues. And even, you know, things like there's been research that look at how it affects pedestrian safety and driver safety. It is essentially related to everything throughout our lives. And it's highly correlated with our overall physical health and things like arthritis, diabetes, um, heart health, it is tied in with all of it. Every time they study sleep with something, they're like, oh yeah, it affects that too. So basically sleep is like the most important thing for us. Sounds like, <laughs> I mean, if you could pick well, one thing, one of the top ones, definitely <laughs> sleep yeah. and eat, I guess would be like, yeah. So, I mean, it really is, I do a lot of, you know, just research on my own, um, you know, as a mom and as a professional and just as taking care, you know, like to take care of myself and to learn how to better take care of myself. And everything you read points back to sleep for for sure. And then, you know, once we became parents and we had this little human being that we were responsible for um, who didn't like to sleep. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say that. I don't know if he liked it or not, but it sure was really difficult, was difficult. for us because he liked to, you know, he was awake when we wanted him to be asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, here eight years later, he still has sleep issues. And, um, or should I say as a family, we do, you know, it's something that we can continue to struggle with. But as a professional and providing ABA services to families with kids who most of which had sleep issues, really, I have to admit that I looked at it so much differently after becoming a parent myself than when I was out there in the field practicing um, without have gone going through it like personally, right? And, and so there was a completely different perspective there. And so I've been pretty interested in sleep and how to help everyone to get better sleep. And, but it's, there's a lot to it. It, it really seems complicated. It seems like there are some conflicting information out there, but there's just a lot of information. And so, you know, what would be the first thing 
that you would tell a family that that comes to you and they're like, oh, our kid's not sleeping. It's every night at bedtime is just chaos and someone ends up crying and, you know, and, and they're giving you their sob story about sleep that I'm sure you've probably heard a million times. Like, what's the first thing that you you say or you ask them about it? And can I uh, just mm-hmm. interrupt you before answering that question? Should we be asking about sleep on the intake? Should should that just be like standard across mm. the board in your opinion? Uh, go it kind yeah, of yeah even before yeah I yeah. mean because well depending on how you do your intake that might be part of right. your intake is you're finding out but yeah what if you're not even thinking about asking about a child's sleep and the parent just is like wow well, I'm a parent and I have kids so and we don't I, we sleep. don't sleep anyway and they don't even think to bring yes. it up to yes. you yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 I absolutely encourage everybody to talk about sleep at the intake I have reasons for that one is because there's research base out there that shows that it's affecting their daytime behaviors. So can we truly make as much of a meaningful impact on their daytime behaviors if we aren't even considering the variables that are affecting those behaviors, right? It's a setting event for us. It's something, if they're not sleeping well, they're going to have stronger behaviors. That's been demonstrated very heavily within the literature base. The other reason that I say we should be talking about it is because We all know as parents um, and caregivers and workers with parents that parents tend to have a self-sacrificing attitude of, I'm supposed to be dealing with this, right? Like this is just part of life and I just kind of have to suck it up and figure out how to make it through life with very little sleep. So a lot of times families don't think to tell us about it. Mm because they've been doing this since the child was born, almost almost in, in almost every situation. That's the case. When you start to delve into the history, they're like, oh, they've never slept well. I hear that all the time. They have never slept well. And so they're used to this. We get the kids at, you know, maybe three, maybe five, maybe 12, maybe 20. And we are working with families who have come to be in a place of habituation to sleep disturbance. And they are just saying, oh yeah, no, this is just, it's part of life. It's fine. I've learned how to cope with it in some semblance. And we, they don't think to bring that up because it's not an obvious sort of daytime effector in their minds. So when we ask about it, it really allows them to both get that information to us so we can take it into account in our program planning, but also lets us have an opportunity to educate the families. And sleep disturbances are so common, it's a quarter of the regular population experience sleep disturbances. That would be me. 35 to 50% of the regular sort of um, the overall pediatric population and then 63 to 86% of the pediatric population that has developmental disabilities. Mm. That's huge. So most likely that family that's coming and walking through your doors, they're experiencing some sort of sleep disturbance in their household. And when it's affecting the child, particularly when it's affecting a child who needs um, a higher level of oversight and supervision, it's definitely affecting more than just the child, it's affecting the family unit. And 
So yeah, I love that idea of of incorporating that into the intakes. We always incorporate it into ours. I mean, it makes sense in, in my world, right? Because I, that's what I focus on. But I encourage everybody to focus on that. How would you recommend doing that? Because I know, and you know, just in working with, with parents over the years, I've kind of learned how to fine tune some of those questions during intake, like, oh, like, you know, maybe where I would have said at one time, does your child play with toys? And maybe they said yes. And then the more I find out about it, my definition, like what I was asking is not what they were answering. You know, what I was asking more specifically, are they purposeful with the toys or the imaginative or whatever? And then maybe they're like, oh, well, they're they're interacting with the toys, but maybe it's not in a purposeful manner. So with sleep, how, what types of, how would you ask those questions to get the information that you need? Yeah, that's a great question. And the phrasing, the way that I tend to phrase questions is I look at what are the common sleep challenges that people have and then frame it in manner of asking those. So the first one would be rather than does your child have sleep disturbances I would say, how many hours of sleep does your child get on average? And do they wake up in the middle of the night? What time do they wake up in the morning? And what time would you want your family to wake up in the morning? Um, And then tell me about what bedtime looks like. So those are kind of my basic questions that I go through with all of the families because it gives me a really clear snapshot of is something happening here that I need to delve into deeper with this family? That's great. Those are really focused questions for sure. I'm, I'm just curious, like, do you see, you know, because of all the reasons you just said sleep seems to be super important. I know when I don't get enough sleep, I, I have a pretty uh, negative attitude, right? I, I certainly don't have the patience, not that I have much patience, but I certainly don't have any patience when I don't get much sleep. Like, do you do you see when a uh, family completely buys into your plans around sleep, like there must be a huge improvement? I mean, for everyone, uh, do, you, do you I don't know if you've done any research or you have any data on that, but do you have any numbers that maybe some of the BCBAs listen and are like, eh, I don't know about this, uh, would would more buy in? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, there is. There's a lot of research that looks at how sleep um, correlates with severity of behaviors, but I'll explain why that might be. And hopefully that will get buy-in from our behavior analysts that are like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So we go through our sleep period consists of several stages of sleep. And lots of people know there's non-REM and there's REM. REM sleep is when we are able to rest and heal and um, get that part of our brain that is able to get through the day in uh, a healthy, emotionally healthy manner. That's when it rests is during REM sleep. REM sleep, we actually have this process where it, um, our bodies are no longer able to engage in movement. And that lets our brain process through things that otherwise might lead us to um, hurt ourselves, right? Like, so um, REM is our mental health first aid. So that's when we recover that part of our brain. We get REM in primarily the latter half 
of our sleep period, our overall nightly sleep period. So when we get short sleep, if we get six hours instead of eight hours, we're sacrificing most of our REM sleep rather than affecting our non-REM sleep, which is kind of when our physiological body gets its rest, our heart gets some rest and all of those things like we recover during that period. So if you think about our capacity to react to situations in sort of an emotionally static way, we need that part of our brain to be focused and be rested so that it has the ability to handle those situations better. And so when we have a sleep disturbance and we lose out on that REM sleep, that part of our brain is working from a point of already sleep deprivation. There's been studies that correlate with PTSD. Mm -hmm. So if you experience a negative event and you are sleep deprived, you are more likely to have an outcome of getting a PTSD diagnosis. Additionally, if you have in the past had a PTSD diagnosis, you are more likely to um, experience sleep disturbances. So it's a cyclical process and one that is, from an emotional perspective, a really um, challenging thing to cope with, right? Because you're more likely to have more strong reactions to things, and those strong reactions are more likely to result in more sleep disturbances. Wow. Yeah. You know, I just think about how I hear people in my circle say, like, oh, I'm good with four hours of sleep. I, I don't I don't need a lot of sleep. I can get by on like six hours for the most part. Um, yeah, I guess that's not true, huh? <laughs> well, here's the thing. When when one of the interesting things about sleep, this is something that I I just find really uh, fascinating is when you start to look at sleep, it becomes sort of formulaic in nature. It's it's a very are we are predisposed to need sleep every living organism that we have studied um, experiences some period of sleep and not and there are no other organisms that we have identified that experience insomnia in the same way that humans experience it so from a biological, if you just look at the biological piece, we are going to sleep. But when we add in all of the other contingencies, social, societal pressures and things like that, we are more likely to experience insomnia. But when um, you look at a human's sleep cycle and you care, you look at it over a period of time, how many hours per 24 hour cycle. I always look at it a day, consider a day. And anytime I say day in the future will be a 24 hour period. Mm -hmm. So in a, in a day, um, everybody has a rhythm of sleep and some people can, can quote unquote, get by on four or five hours of sleep for a period of time. But in every case that I have worked with, and in almost all of the literature, with a few very significant exceptions, there is some um, d true diseases that cause more significant sleep than this. But 
in almost every situation, you, you're able to carry that pattern of sleep throughout for a period of time. And then you have a catch up period where you're going to sleep longer, you're going to sleep deeper, and your body is going to get that sleep. To, this, to a, uh, de the most significant degree of when, when you experience significant in the insomnia to like a you know extreme degree, you will pull out, you'll actually have what they call micro sleeps. And that's where your brain goes into REM sleep while you think you're awake. So it's little periods of REM sleep. So even when we say I can get by on four hours of sleep, you might be thinking that you're getting by, but probably there's periods where you're getting catch up sleep or you're experiencing some of those daytime sim symptoms where your, your brain is like, okay, no, I need something here. I'm going to shut down for a moment. Yeah, that sounds dangerous. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whether you're, you're listening to this as a parent or a business owner, mm -hmm. um, you know, like yourself as a business owner because you know like that's one of the things that we hear a lot i mean that's i mean it sounds like you're uh, have a lot of dealings with entrepreneurship and, and it's like that's like the biggest like societal i guess thing that we put on ourselves is like well we have to keep going we have to keep going we have to keep going and like we're we're working around the clock or we're working like really late hours and that's one of the things that steven and i try to teach is like find your boundaries, right? Um, set those work hours, those, you know, email hours, those phone call hours, you know, make sure you set those boundaries um, from the beginning when sure. you're starting your company because it's, you know, it can get out of control. It can get out of hand and sleep is one of the things that can, yeah. you know, come, yeah, that can, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That can like be affected sure. um, by by that. But um, wow, yeah. It's, it's, I, I, yeah, you have a question? Yeah, I've got a question. So like when, when you, you know, you do your intake, you, you see the child and probably the family has has an issue with sleep. How how much of your focus do you mm. typically uh, uh, use like for, okay, we if we can get through this sleep, everybody's going to be happier. Everybody, like it's not just about the child at that point, right? Like um, how much of your focus is on that? Um, like, is it almost like family? a prerequisite? Right. Like, like, okay, we have, have to, to, we focus. have to do this mm -hmm. first, right? We really got to get this in check and then we can kind of focus on other things. That's a great question. I have my, um, general findings clinically is the family has to be ready. And so that is really dependent on where the family seems to be with motivation towards sleep treatment, because they're the ones that are going to be implementing sure. it. And so I'm asking in those situations, I'm asking the family to make changes to their routine as a whole. And so one of the questions, if my initial questions show that there's some sort of sleep disturbance um, or the child's sleep is not aligning with what the family's preferences would be and where the family's values are at, then my next set of questions are going to be, let's delve into what their motivation is towards addressing this. Are they there yet? Because if they're not there yet, there's not going to be high fidelity and that's not going to be successful 
And maybe we need to focus on those daytime things and have the have some success and get that parent buy-in with something that we have a little bit more control over so that then we're building that relationship with the family. We're helping them learn some of the preliminary techniques of ABA and why we do what we do in our field. And then they will come to a point where they're feeling more motivated. But I always put it on the table. And then I always say, you might, if you're not ready for this right now, that's fine. This is completely up to you. Um, but when you're ready, then just let me know. And then I do usually check-ins with the family or my BCBAs that are working with the families will do check-ins with them. And so every couple of months or so, they'll just say, hey, how's the sleep going? Are you at a point where you want to meet with Emily and you guys can start looking at that? So I always let the family decide that because if they don't have the, if you don't have their buy-in yet, then it's not worth trying to push sure. them. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that kind of brings us to one of the points of like compassionate care and looking at um, family values, um, you know, making sure that we're, you know, approaching this in a way where not only they can get buy-in, but it's like ethical, right? That we're not, we're not like stopping over their cultural preferences or their family preferences. Um, maybe they're okay with their sleep or how they, how their sleep looks. Is there anything um, that you would recommend as far as like how to approach that um, further with families? Maybe they say, sure, yeah, we'd like to work on that now. Um, you know, how would you approach that? Yeah, there's some really good assessments out there. I always encourage providers who are new to the sleep world to look at the sleep assessment and treatment tool. Um, and there's some trainings out there on that. The, there's a sleep assessment and treatment tool Facebook group that's freely accessible and people meet on there. Um, the PFA SBT community, they have uh, both mentorship listings and um, trainings on their resource and that has some SAT, that's the sleep assessment treatment tools, the SAT that has some trainings on the SAT. So the SAT walks through gathering the pertinent information with the family. So it's a great assessment. It's an interview informed assessment and you're talking with the family, you're capturing what are their goals. Um, co-sleeping is not inherently bad. Lots of cultures, lots of families choose to co-sleep. That is 100% okay. And there's things that we can do to still help them sleep better, even in a co-sleeping format. So the SAT would be the first sort of assessment step that I recommend for practitioners. Uh, you always want to make sure that you have that mentorship at first. There is clear evidence to show that when a family seeks out sleep treatment, if that sleep treatment, particularly behavioral sleep treatment, fails, they will go back to medical treatment in the form of pharmaceuticals. So having that mentorship is huge. There's several BCBAs now that I know of that do it. And again, that, SB, that PFA SBT community has a listing of some mentors that are available. I always approach it from a sort of trauma-informed, right? Because trauma is gonna affect their sleep. So we wanna be capturing some of that history, looking at cultural and parental parent, uh, preferences. So they are the ones that 
help set the goals. So at no point am I like, your child needs to get exactly this amount of sleep (laughs) and they need to sleep in their own bed, in their own room and no coach, right? Like that's just, it's not our right to say any of that. And to be honest, there's no right answer for sleeping. That's clearly true across the globe. Lots of different places um, have different cultural expectations with sleep. And making sure that we're including the family and uh, the sleeper when appropriate in the treatment plan and development. Um, There's lots of times where I've worked with kiddos and they come on to my calls with them and they tell me they answer questions and we talk about things like, hey, you know, when you fall asleep watching your tablet in your bed, then it makes it harder for you to sleep through the night. So... I have some suggestions, but I want you to tell me how you feel about them. And we'll come up with some suggestions for that situation. It might be, you can do your tablet on the couch in the living room, or mom and dad could set up a special rug for you to do some tablet time in your room before bedtime. And then we're gonna, and then you can plug it in, put the tablet to bed when you're feeling tired. And they'll give me their feedback. And then a big one when we're talking about, compassionate expectations is I had to suggest a parent to just use extinction. Never. I have been doing this for many years and I have never said to a family, I just want you to make them cry it out. Mm -hmm. Right. It sets particularly with kids that um, we are working with and the behavioral repertoires that they have. We cannot ask families to go through an extinction burst at one of the most challenging points in our day because we're tired. Our emotional, you know, cup has been drained and we're needing sleep too. So in that moment is not the time to try and like um, work through an extinction burst. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the questions on my list to ask you about that. (laughs) So I'm so glad it came up. Because it's real. I mean, and that's the advice that you see a lot, you know, when you do a Google search. How do I help my kid sleep? I'm tired. I need sleep. Putting my kid to sleep. And from tiny baby up until, I don't know, adulthood, right? It's like, yeah, extinction tends to be the thing or some some form of it, um, you know, tends to be the, the one of the first things that you see. Um, well, kind of like looking at the developmental appropriateness throughout the stages, like throughout the stages of the development. And I get that sleep's different for everybody, but there there must be some uh, rule or some at least sequence of sleep expectations that we could have for like different ages, like say a six-month-old versus a five-year-old versus a 12-year-old. Um, would that, would our expectations look different? across those ages and stages? Absolutely. Yes. Sleep is, um, to add to its complexity, it is not static across our lifespan. So, you know, as we, many of us are familiar with, infants need lots of sleep and it kind of becomes more condensed. We get more efficient sleep as we get a little bit older and then we need to sleep a little bit less There's usually a nap until somewhere around two to four, depending on the individual. And then we um, are just doing overnight sleep. And so we have this kind of process. And as we age, that we need 
slightly less sleep. And it's kind of always becoming gradually less until we hit uh, puberty, early, ad early adulthood, where we're all pretty much need somewhere between seven to nine hours of sleep. And so knowing those milestones and where the kid sort of should be-ish is a great way of identifying how far off are they from the developmental norm I do use those guides um, and they're everywhere. You can do a Google search for them and they will pull them up. Um, the National Institute of Health also has them if you want to like a really solid reference for them. Um, but they, at, one of the important things with that is to know that it is always fluid. It is always changing. One of my goals with my parents that I work with is to teach them that because I want them to know that just because you know, Johnny is sleeping really well right now with this exact schedule, then just be mindful that we're gonna have to shift the schedule as he's showing that he needs less and less sleep. And that's okay, we just push bedtime usually, that's it, right? You just push bedtime by 15, 20, 30 minutes every six months or a year until they are uh, at that adolescent age. The other interesting phenomenon that happens for us is as we become sort of in that teenager years and we're starting to get towards uh, adolescence, there's a circadian rhythm shift. And so we need a static amount of sleep, but when we can access that sleep, starts to shift closer to midnight. And then when we hit puberty, usually it starts to shift back until we are in our early adulthood. So there's that shift that I like families to be aware of. Like, you know, Johnny, when he is 13, he's going to start to sleep later, but that doesn't mean that he needs less sleep. So when possible, let's adjust it a little bit um, and, and try and find, you know, ways for his schedule to accommodate those sleep needs, which is really hard, at least in America, where mm -hmm. we usually have high schoolers getting up super early and going to school. But there is a really fun movement where people are trying to flip-flop that and have elementary kids go to school earlier and adolescents go to school later because we're becoming more aware yeah, of that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, in the community that we lived in Northern Virginia before moving to Canada, that was a really big um, push. Um, I, I'm not even sure. I'll have to check in. I don't think it, I don't think it changed. Oh, it didn't make it. I don't think it made it. Um, because, like, yeah. here are, like, at the time we had a, a – first grader who started was had to be there by like 905 I think was like the tourney bell the kid was up at 5 a.m like <laughs> like every morning and by the time nine o'clock hit like it was like half of his day was gone and yeah. it was it would be a struggle to transition him to school and then you have like our next door neighbor who her teenagers we're at the bus stop at like 5.45, 6.15 because their tardy yeah. bell was not even 7 a.m. Mm. And so, and they had sports and they had jobs and they had, you know, and it makes complete sense. Now, as an ABA provider at the time, I was like, oh, no, please no, because then that would mess up the whole like early, you know, schedule because then our like elementary <laughs> kids get access in-home ABA at like 2.30. But that's not the important part. <laughs> that's not as important as sleep. But still, yeah, I really love to see that. And I think I heard, oh, was it Tennessee? I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But I feel like there was a big district somewhere, and maybe there's multiple, who they did make that switch and it passed. And so, I mean, I think that's a positive move because it, it is, it's, it's following the science. And, and if 
if these kids like it's not like they can help it like that's just their biological like that's how their body's changing um so yeah and that's when they're learning to drive a Mm. metal vehicle for the first time ever at like 55 miles an hour and they need really good reaction time so you're saying that on the weekends, if you're if you're a teenage, if you're like preteen teenage kid, or you know even maybe young adult, I guess like, um, like let them sleep in on Saturday morning if there's no plans. Like, is that the yeah? It's really hard because another key variable for having good sleep is to have a consistent mm-hmm. wake up time. So what I recommend to teenagers that I work with is try and get yourself up within a half hour. So give yourself maybe another half hour on the weekends, but then try and budget it a time, budget in a time to take a nap. Right. So if you get up around the same time, but then you still, you get a nap, you can get a little bit of that catch up sleep, but you're still keeping your circadian rhythm on point. So how long would you say to nap? For an individual who is like constantly in sleep deprivation, if they don't have trouble sleeping, so this is the key, naps can be good and naps can be harmful because if you have trouble sleeping at nighttime, then you want to keep your naps 20 minutes or less during the day for, I'm going to say, mid middle-aged adult and younger, uh, well, ending of nap time through middle-aged adult. We kind of go through this, both of the ends of the spectrum right. are a little wonkier, but keeping it 20 minutes or under should minimize your nap's impact on your ability to fall asleep later that night. If you have, um, if you are a healthy sleeper and your societal demands kind of prevent you from getting enough sleep during the week, you can bring that out a little bit and get a little bit longer of a nap. Ultimately, you want to keep your circadian rhythm on point and to do that, you need to have a consistent wake up time with exposure to bright lights, preferably yeah. the sun. Yeah, I just, I, I think I heard on a podcast, I can't even remember, I feel like it might've been Mel Robbins or something, right? Like, but they had someone on, they were talking about how first thing in the morning, like going outside and getting sun, like sun, even if it's a cloudy day, is still brighter than like, say a sun lamp or indoor light. Um, and so like we go out every morning for the bus mm-hmm. and um, I've been making sure that we try to go out like 10 minutes earlier. So at least we get like, 10 to 20 minutes outside first thing in the morning. And um, personally, I feel like it's helping my mood, helping being able to like go to sleep because it's, you're catching the bus. So it's very consistent with the timing. Um, So that is, that is kind of a a new little thing that that I've added in. He used to go out to the bus with daddy and I would stand at the door in my pajamas (laughs) because I'm not allowed to be outside in my pajamas. um, But now I put on my sweats and my winter coat and we head out all together and have that time. Uh, We also get great connection time, which is nice. What would you say to, so I have a couple of questions as we kind of wrap up our hour here. The first one is, what would you say to ABA business owners about sleep for themselves and maybe a couple of tips of, you know, for them and then also for staff? I think, um, you know, being able to address sleep has been really cool because I've learned everything that I did wrong. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I know when I choose to do something wrong, <laughs> which happens, right? Um, but I think what you mentioned earlier on setting boundaries and prioritizing sleep is a huge key for success for business owners and their staff. Um, it, it's being a business owner is stressful. There's a lot on your plate. There's a lot of weight. And one of the things that tends to be challenging for people who have busy lives and lots of responsibility and they feel like the world is on their shoulders are all of those covert uh, interfering behaviors that happen. So you lay down in bed and you start to worry and you start to think about all of the things that you need to do the next day and all of those different pieces, that's when your brain has the time to process through those and it just starts going. And when you're engaging in those behaviors, you're not able to sleep because the process of transitioning into sleep requires behavioral quietude. It, re it requires for us to move all of the incompatible behaviors out of the way. And that includes those covert ones. So I always recommend looking into things like acceptance and commitment therapy, thinking about what are some alternate ways that you can reduce those stresses before you climb into bed. Or if you find yourself engaging in those behaviors in bed, it's okay to give yourself permission to get up and have a place sort of specified that you go to. Maybe you have a comfortable chair in the living room, or maybe it's the kitchen table and you have your notebook and you write it out and plan if you have something that's just wearing on you put it on your schedule when are you going to deal with it so that you can kind of let go of that and then try again so rather than staying in bed and worrying about those things give yourself permission to take the space go and work through process through it and then once you're kind of feeling like you have a plan in place that relieves that stress at least somewhat. Now you're a little more tired because it's a little later in the day, the sleep pressure is a little bit more um, strong, then you can go back and try again. So that's one of the big tips with um, when it looks, when you're looking at behavior therapy for sleep is don't lay in bed and engage in incompatible behaviors to sleep but give yourself the space to get out. It's okay to get out of bed, do what you need to do, and then come back and try again with sleep. Um, the other things are looking at having an optimized sleep environment, which is cool rooms are easier to sleep in, dark rooms are easier to sleep in. Uh, having some sort of white noise machine is can be a really powerful tool because it's unlikely that you are getting that stimulus at any other point of the day. So it becomes strong stimulus control. If you use a white noise machine, which I highly recommend, turn it on as the last thing of your sleep routine, turn it off as your first thing in the morning. I actually was doing a presentation one time and an individual who had gone through um, cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, he raised his hand and he told me this really cool trick he has his white noise machine on a timer. Mm -hmm. And when his alarm goes on, his white noise machine goes off. I'm like, that genius. Oh my gosh, I've never thought. Yeah, so the stimulus control of the white noise. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of questions. Oh, um, what? Like, uh, are, uh, are there more tips? Oh, okay. Or Sorry. did no, you all have questions no, about ahead. those yeah, tips? Yeah, if you have more tips, yeah, please. We want all the no, sleep no, tips. And then, 
And then we already hit the other run, which is have a consistent wake up time and get exposure preferably to the sun, but bright light if you're in a place like Alaska where the sun simply doesn't exist. (laughs) And then I know you mentioned, you know, if you're if you're going to start working on programs for sleep and, and things like that, definitely get a mentor. And, and this may be obvious, but is this something that you help with? If, if a BCBA wanted more support, could they reach out to you? Yeah, I do offer mentorship. Um, and that's at stepinautism.com backslash sleep is where you can find me for that. There's also at the sleep assessment treatment tool Facebook group about monthly. I do a sleep mentorship, totally free. They can jump on case consultation. I'll walk through things with them and all of the colleagues will share tips too. So that's a great resource that doesn't add to the costs. Every business owner is always looking at those costs. And and then if they wanted like, cause I, I mean, I see the advantages obviously with kids and family, but like the, the advantages to your staff and yourself like is so important like for everyone to perform their best to decrease burnout stress anxiety like all the things um being late or canceling yeah, canceling, oh yeah, yeah for sure late and not being able to make it to your last session even because you're exhausted yeah. or whatever and then you know teaching this to staff then maybe they teach it to their families like like it can just be so much um help and well-being across the board is this something that you would provide um uh like do you do this for staff and and like a training yeah training for for you know regular i don't know yeah absolutely Yeah, I have done that for organizations and at the individual level I actually had um, a colleague's staff member who was experiencing acute insomnia, which means that she had a period of time where she just was not sleeping well, but it wasn't ongoing at this point in time. And she went to her physician and the physician offered sleeping medication and what he called the poor man's solution which was to have a glass of alcohol in the in the evening which just like don't do that <laughs> for one it is not a good sleep treatment i promise um <laughs> like it's and my eight-year-old has called me out on it we don't allow him like he he doesn't have and this is just because this is what's best for him and our family i'm not saying no one should have screens ever but um monday through thursday no screens of any kind other than what he may get at school. Right. Um, but then even on, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, it's like screens are off by what is it? His timer set to like 6 p.m. or something like that. And of course, like, he's not going to bed with screens. But he sees mommy and daddy, and daddy going to bed. And and we have a thing. He's We've had sleep challenges throughout his life, like I said earlier. And so right now, our personal thing is he goes to sleep. We have a very specific bedtime routine. He goes to sleep in his own bed and that there's a pallet in our room. And at any point where he wakes up in the middle of the night, he's welcome to come sleep in our room. He's not to wake us unless he's like emergency, right? And that helps us to get our sleep. That helps him to get his sleep and it works for us. Mm But I'm not going to lie. There have been some times where 2 a.m., here comes little Willis into our room, <laughs> and mommy's in bed on the iPad because I'm having trouble sleeping. Yes. And maybe I woke up, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to put on a 
like this time of year, a Hallmark movie or something like completely like, you know, non-stimulating to turn on to fall asleep to. And he's calling me out and he has challenged me. He's like, mommy, I haven't accepted yet, but I, I told him <laughs> I was going to be talking to a sleep expert and maybe I would try to think about maybe take it, accepting his challenge. But he says, mommy, I, I want to give you, because we did a 30-day challenge a while back with no screens at all for 30 days, except for mommy and daddy at nighttime. Um, and so he said, mommy, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to a two-week no screens in the bedroom challenge. So what would my first, how do I do that, Emily? How do I do that? <laughs> and I just want, before you answer, I'm going to lie to him anyway and say, if you're over 40, you're allowed to have screens in bed. <laughs> That's just how it works. So... <laughs> Yeah, the screens in bed is uh, that's a big. Netflix actually had a advertisement that used that, and they said between sleep and Netflix, Netflix wins. Mm. And it's true, right? Like, it's my iPad, right? It's very, very convenient. Yeah. So I challenge you to think about that as a behavior that is um, you're thinking about how can I access this and make it less motivating in the middle of the night by accessing it at a more appropriate time. Right. So you're trying to decrease your motivation towards it, although I don't know if you ever decrease the motivation for the wide breadth of shows that we have access to. Um, so then the other thing to do is to set boundaries and maybe the screens are charged in a different space. And if you get up in the middle of the night and you have a hard time sleeping, you actually get up and go watch the screen mm. somewhere else. Um, if you are truly experiencing chronic insomnia and you have sort of ongoing sleep challenges, then I would encourage you to try and avoid and set those boundaries and say, I'm not allowed to watch screens at nighttime but i can go and read my refrigerator manual when i'm feeling like i can't sleep in the middle of the I night love it. so pulling out that reinforcement for waking up so my dissertation would looked at kids getting access to highly reinforcing activities first thing when they woke up and it compared it so they had a period of time where they did not they just woke up and went about their day and then um, the period of time where they woke up got immediate access to their whatever they identified as their favorite thing. And those kids that got immediate access to their favorite thing woke up significantly yeah. earlier in the morning during that period of time. Yeah. So waking does appear to have some, uh, you know, like the Christmas effect. You wake up and you're really excited and the kids are waking up at three o'clock in the morning because they want to open presents. So when we have um, reinforcers, that are more powerful than sleep as we get that sleep and its power goes down, then we're likely to wake up. to. You know, that, that so. makes such perfect sense. And like being in the field of AVA since like the early nineties, like I never once like made that connection because right now we're heading into December, right? It's the the elf season, right? You've got advent calendars, you know, for, for those of you yeah. who participate in that kind of thing. So it's not just Christmas morning for those who celebrate Christmas and even some like other, you know, winter holidays. It's like multiple days yeah. of like, so I had talked to Willis the other son the other day about like, at least on school mornings, he knows that he can't access these things until like within that 30 minutes before it's time to go to school anyways. 
but it that the behavior like the the relationship there is yeah you're right because yeah. that's what it is you're accessing that reinforcement oh my gosh hmm. yeah learning so many new things yeah. today yeah. yeah the refrigerator manual will be your friend <laughs> i love that that's hilarious i might have to dig that out and see how it works i'll have i'll i will like i challenge i would love to do this i challenge anyone who's listening who uses their screen at night when either to fall asleep or has something to do when they're awake in the middle of the night. But yeah. honestly, to not think about things, sometimes, yeah, it's a lot. It has a lot to do with that. Just like stressors of what I have to do. And so you're like, let me turn on a Hallmark movie or something like, or an old episode of Friends that I've seen 25 times so I yeah. can just like pacify myself to go back to sleep. So yeah, I would love to challenge anyone who wants to get together and, you know, tackle this or, you know, take one step in the right direction towards this. Like, play, like let me know. Yeah. We'll all do this together because as we're learning here from you, Dr. I, sleep is like even more important than I ever really imagined. There's a lot of research and a lot of data that for sure backs it up. Yeah, I, I, I know like as a bus- like former ABA business owner, like what I would do, I'd be able to get sleep. But it was the the panic attack at like mm-hmm. two in the morning of either what I forgot to do that day or the terrible, horrible, awful thing that's going to destroy my company. Um, th- that would just I don't know. It would just wake me up. I'd I'd be in panic, and then what I would do is I wake up April and I'd be like, ah, "What are we going to do about this?" Oh so. yes, yeah. It, it was the worst. Like it, we had a small like we are we had our baby. Yes, we found out we were pregnant just a couple of weeks after, after opening. I quit my job to open this company. Uh, yeah, 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 to open my. Well, it was open, ABA. but like yeah. really, to really open. get get yeah, it going yeah. so yeah so we i was like young young baby and mommy's the one getting up with a baby and then he would wake up at 2 a.m did you pay that bill or did you get the check from etna you know and i'm like whoa yes that, we've, we've yeah. grown a lot since those we, we have we've grown a we lot. have yeah. but don't do that don't do and, that and uh don't use your ipad get the the refrigerator <laughs> manual that's, I, I think that's great yeah. that's great yeah. and and I think some of those things you're not really in control right. of, right? Like you're going to have those panic attacks. And that's where accepting that your role as a business owner is going to come with stressors. But teaching your body that two o'clock in the morning isn't the time. You, you're not going to be able to solve the problem then. But you are going to be able to worry about it and come up with all of the exorbitantly crazy ideas that you're going to use to solve it, which when you wake up actually in the morning, you're like, what was I thinking? Like, of course that's not going to work. But what I would say, if that's the experience that people are having, find somebody that you can share that with during the day and block out points of time where you can have and work through those so that you're giving the space for it hopefully being able to teach yourself to do it later. So rather than try and solve it, get in the habit of writing it down and then telling yourself, okay, I, I have this period of time where I have access to three pi squared or whatever other colleagues you use or professional or personal people in your life that you have to lean on for this kind of thing. And then take that list with you. And get in that habit of, I can't fix this right now. 
I recognize that I'm worried about it. I need to write it down so I remember to deal with it in that moment. I need to write it down so that I remember to ask, did you pay that bill in the morning? But I don't have to deal with it right now. Get it out and then go back to sleep and try to teach yourself that that's the pattern of behavior that you want. And ultimately, what you'll see is that will result in I can not wake up in the middle of the night do that or maybe taking space as part of your bedtime routine to write down and think through and have that quiet moment to think about what it is that you might be worried about get it onto your notebook so hopefully you can have a restful night of sleep yeah and i'm thinking about the advice that you gave um you were talking about some of the kids that you worked with of you know having that space for your tablet in a comfy spot in the floor before you get in bed or on the couch down in the living room or, you know, not, exactly. not watching your, your device in bed could go for adults too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there yeah. anything that we didn't talk about today that you wanted to make sure um, that you mentioned or? No, I just, I think that, you know, as a, as a business owner, I've seen a lot of success with not just clinically, but also helping to reduce some of those KPIs that we use with missing um, sessions. Uh, If you take it as far as helping your staff, empowering your staff with some of that, then hopefully that would reduce some of their call outs if they are, like you were mentioning, experiencing that. So just encourage everybody to take this into consideration. and, and, um, And as far as funding for it, I will say I have, if you have a client who's receiving ABA services, like a comprehensive plan, I have never once had insurance company tell me, no, you cannot work on sleep. And I do it in the parent training Hmm. portion. So the goals are written as parent training goals. And then um, it's done through parent training sessions. That's great advice. Yeah. Okay. And, and like, uh, you know, you've already said, but is this something that, again, you could you could train staff on how to write those goals so that they meet the standard and, and kind of guide them through it? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we will definitely link in um, when this airs as a podcast and yep. wherever you listen to your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we will have this in the show notes. And then, of course, here on Facebook, can would you yeah. Yeah, put I'll the put links it in, in mm-hmm. on that, too? And uh, if anyone has any questions, um, feel free to reach out to us and we'll try to get that answer to you. Um, well, thank you so much. We, I, you guys don't know, but it took us like months to get together for this podcast. Various things kept popping up. And, and so I was just, I woke up early this morning excited. <laughs> um, yeah, I finally get to do this today. Um, and wear my, my jammies to mm-hmm. the, to the show. They look very cozy. They were very, I'm actually, my face is getting, I'm getting hot, yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> with the lights and whatever, <laughs> but still, yes, cozy. But thank you so much, Dr. Emily Isa. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. And I think we've all come away learning at least one new thing for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. We'll see you all. And uh, like April said, if you have any questions, comments, please post them and, Because if you have them, I'm sure somebody else has them. Um, And have a wonderful day. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Hopefully it was helpful. If you would like to gain access to this entire video, and actually our entire library of videos, 
please join our ABA Business Leaders membership. You can find that at www.3pisquare.com. Thank you.